I've heard of situations where syndicators are actually the general partners of the syndicator aren't flowing through the depreciation deduction. So you have to read the agreements as being a limited partner. And, and again, it's due diligence because there are some situations where the general partners will specifically spell out in the agreement. It's not like they're lying to you, but they're spelling out in the agreement that they're going to claim the depreciation deductions and you're not going to get that that nugget. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Frank Judici. Today, we're talking about, I don't want to say the dirty underbelly, but maybe the dirty underbelly of the cost segregation business or things that you don't know as a passive real estate investor that you should know about cost segregation, specifically the quality, the information that's being used, how thorough and appropriate and correct the cost segregation studies that are being done on properties that you've passively invested in. If you do passively invest in syndications, specifically multifamily syndications, they're probably doing a cost segregation study. Odds are, are pretty good they're doing that. You have to look in, talk to sponsors and see what's being done there. But a lot of multifamily syndications do use cost segregation studies to accelerate depreciation. But have you thought about the quality of the cost segregation study that's being done? What's going to happen if down the road, the IRS phones up and inquires as to how proper and appropriate that cost segregation study was? Question mark. Do you know, have you thought about that? Has the sponsor thought about that? These are all things to think about. And that's what we're talking about today with Frank. And I learned a lot today. I'm sure you will as well. This is something you might not think about, but the details are super important. And Frank had an experience in his life when he first got into the cost segregation world that opened his eyes to, again, I hate to say it, but the, you know, the underbelly of the cost segregation space. And now he's out there educating investors just like you about how to avoid some of those problems, shall we say. So just stay tuned in. You're going to learn some very interesting things about the cost segregation space and uh, stuff you might not have thought about so far. So I learned a lot today and I know you will as well. If you do enjoy the show, I ask that you take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating or review, five stars if you don't mind. That's so much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. It helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And you know, I'm not gonna lie to you, it helps me feel good. I see the comments that you guys make and I appreciate it so much. That helps me know that you guys are engaging with the content and you're learning alongside us escaping the Wall Street casino and growing your wealth with real estate, because that's what we're all about here, escaping the Wall Street casino. I'm your host, Taylor Lowe. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. We're here doing three episodes a week. And if you're not subscribed yet, take a second, go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit that subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device and escape the Wall Street casino with us. Without any further ado, here we go. You're going to learn a lot about cost segregation, getting into the details here, right? Accelerating our depreciation and hopefully protecting our downside by using qualified cost segregation study providers. Without any further ado, here we go. Frank, thank you for joining us today. Awesome. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here and help push the cause forward. Thanks, Taylor. Hey, uh, it's my pleasure to have you on the show. We've been talking for a little while here and you have a lot of interesting and, and I think very helpful information, cost segregation space that many of our listeners probably don't know, even if they think 
They know about cost segregation. We're getting a little more into the weeds, but these are important weeds they haven't heard about yet. But before we get into all the detailed stuff, can you tell us about yourself, your business, your background, and then we'll dive into the topic here. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you again, Taylor. So I am a a New England native that's now a transplant here in upstate New York. And Civil engineer by degree, spent 15 years in the construction management industry, working all over the country on, gosh, I started out with, you know, school projects, K through 12 and inner city office buildings in Boston, high rise multi-residential in Providence, Rhode Island, and then on to billion dollar semiconductor facilities. So ran the whole gamut there for 15 years was project engineer and, and procurement manager were, were my primary positions throughout my construction management career. And then honestly stumbled into this cost seg thing, like literally looking for a change of pace where I could sleep in my own bed at night on a weekly basis. And at a real estate conference and bumped into a guy that had a gift for gab and talked about cost segregation. And next thing you know, I'm working for this gentleman. So that that's really how I kind of fell into the cost seg industry. And I've learned a lot of valuable lessons that really have led me to, I call it my truth brigade, right? A lot of people feel like they know cost seg. I try to, as politely as possible, tell them they don't know cost seg. <laughs> so, so think of this podcast, you know, I'm on this national podcast campaign for the Bedford and Source Advisors team to just try to help educate and spread the word and kind of peel back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz. So that's my spiel. That's my spiel. Awesome. You caught us up to speed, but you know, there's, there I think some details in there, right? You got the exposure to the cost segregation world right off the bat there, got you interested. But then there was another, let's say maybe revelation that came not too long after that, that I think really, uh, from what I can tell, really informs your truth brigade these days. So tell us about that and what we need to watch out for. Yeah. So Again, I bumped into a gentleman at a conference. He happened to own his own boutique cost segregation firm and literally thought he was telling me that was something, you know, he was describing cost segregation and all I could think of was it's too good to be true. And after doing my own research, realized that he was actually correct and it was a legitimate industry. So I ended up working for this gentleman for about an eight-month period and then received a call. I, I feel like I almost remember the date. It was like it was October of uh, 2018. I received a call from a CPA client of mine who decided to do a little background check on this owner of this boutique cost seg provider. And turns out that he was not actually contracted by the IRS for two and a half years to help author the first edition audit technique guide for cost segregation. So this was a standard line that he would use to sell people on doing cost segregation with him, claiming that he helped the IRS author that 2004 published audit technique guide for cost segregation, which was really the first document released by the IRS to kind of really acquiesce that cost segregation was a legitimate tax strategy to use. And here was a guide on how to properly put together a cost segregation study. So my heart sank because I was swindled. I basically was working for a con man. 
And come to find out the more conversations I have with legitimate cost seg professionals in the industry, there's a lot of con artists and fraudulence out there in the industry. And so I took it very serious and I put a lot of time into vetting and doing my own due diligence as to who the more legitimate cost seg providers were out there. And one of the, one of the, you know, one of, one of the ways that I was, that I, that I helped navigate the waters of legitimate cost seg providers was utilizing the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals website. So there is a society out there, the ASCSP, American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals, which actually to this day is still the only society that has taken it upon themselves to properly educate and certify cost segregation professionals in the industry. Because unfortunately, the IRS leaves it very open and you you essentially just need to have a background in engineering and construction principles to put these studies together. But unfortunately, there's about 20 years plus of cost seg case law that you need to understand in order to properly put these studies together and know what assets can be segregated and what can't. So in any case, the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals is what you know steered me towards Bedford Cost Segregation, cheap company pitch, one of the largest independently owned cost seg providers in the country, and I'm one of their business development directors. So that's why I'm here, Taylor, is to help spread the word because I was taken advantage of and I don't want you know you or, or your you know audience to also be taken advantage of. Not that they're going to work for a cost seg provider, but they, you know, I can tell you that I know a lot of people who continue to do work or employ cost seg providers that have no business being in business. And you're just putting yourself at risk. I mean, it's if the IRS ever starts to dig in and do an audit on your cost seg study, you're rolling the dice by not doing your own due diligence. So in a nutshell, that's how I stumbled upon the industry. And it was a huge life lesson learned. And now we can save some time, Taylor, because I don't have to answer question number three. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But I think there's a lot of surprising things in there for me. I mean, off the bat, one of the most surprising things on my end was I didn't know. I mean, I'm not a cost segregation professional in any sense, but I didn't know there was a like professional society for cost segregation people on the now that I know about it, I guess it's not that surprising, but still, it's a little surprising that nobody has brought it up. Yeah. And listen, and you know what? A lot of people, because I think a lot of professional societies that get formed in various industries, they sometimes get a bad rap, right? It's like, oh, that's just, you know, that's just a boys club. It's just something, a designation that helps you, you know, you can put on your resume and help pad your resume. Like the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals is not only the only professional society that is in regards to cost segregation, but it's also, it takes it very serious because the founders of this society quickly realized that after that audit technique guide was released by the IRS in fall of 2004, it opened up the floodgates for Tom, Dick, Harry, and Jane to just open up their own boutique cost seg firms. And unfortunately, Tom, Dick, Harry, and Jane had no business being in business. (laughs) But because the IRS left it wide open and just basically left it as, hey, you know, anybody with construction and engineering principles can do this. I mean, you're just asking for trouble. So the founders 
the original founding members of this American Society of Class Segregation Professionals, one of them was Bedford's managing partner, and he was the first president of the American Society of Class Segregation Professionals, Greg Bryant. They did this because they were trying to curb these fraudulent, you know, cost seg providers from flooding the market and basically hoodwinking people into doing studies for them that weren't legitimate. So it was all with great intent. And really, they came up with their own standard operating procedures. They came up with their own code of ethics. They had like a seven year, you had to have seven years minimum experience in in like the construction engineering world to even apply to be part of the testing, you know, program. And this is not a test that you can like study the night before and it's, you know, you can pass it. Like you literally, you have to know case law. There's both a written and like a, you know, there's a multiple choice and written and, and it's difficult. And to tell you how difficult it is. In 2006 is when the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals was formed. And to date, so here we are in 21. So what's that, 15 years later? So 15 years later, there's only 43 individuals in the entire country that hold that certified cost segregation professional designation. 43 individuals hold the highest designation in the country. And just think about how many cost seg providers are out there, Taylor. I mean, there's easily, gosh, there's got to be 50, 75 plus cost seg providers Mm -hmm. out there. And you've only got 43 individuals who are like the top trained in the industry. And I can tell you eight, eight of the 43 are employed by Bedford. So that even knocks the ratio down even more. I mean, a lot of firms don't even have one cost seg, you know, certified cost segregation professional. So, and again, being a CPA doesn't cut it. Just because you're a CPA doesn't mean you can open up a cost seg firm because at the end of the day, you need to have people who understand construction and engineering principles. If somebody buys a building, you need to have an engineer who has x-ray vision and can see through the walls and knows how the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing utilities are being run. Because if you don't have that background and that skill set, you're not able to put together a proper cost estimate on the building that was acquired because acquired buildings don't come with a set of design documents that tell you everything. So it's a different skill set for people who acquire property and want to have cost seg studies done. Because from what my experience, acquiring a building doesn't always come with its own set of documents. (laughs) So, you know, design documents. So let's face it, you know, it's, It really is to be a legitimate cost segregation provider. Yes, you need to have in-house CPA capabilities, accounting, you know, experience, but you also need that architecture, engineering, like you need those types of folks as well. And I can tell you, you know, all of our engineers have at least a four-year engineering degree. I'm a business development guy and I have a civil engineering degree. So, I mean, it's, we take it seriously, right? And a lot of the firms that are part of the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals and have certified members, they take it seriously and they have the right people to do the job and to keep you out of hot water with the IRS. So great. There are a couple of things in here that I want to make sure we cover in uh, first, there are more than a couple of things I want to cover, but First, say you've got guys who know what they're, and to simplify it, guys, companies that know what they're doing and companies that don't know what they're doing or are doing it wrong. On the whole, you know, in a, maybe in a broad sense, maybe you could give specific examples. I don't know. 
what are the guys that are doing it wrong, getting wrong in, in the nuts and bolts sense? Or, you know, you gave an example yeah. of knowing where the mechanical goes, but really where are they going yeah. astray? Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform, and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started, or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. So they're going astray for two reasons, or one of two reasons. Sometimes it's a blend of both. The first reason is they just don't know any better. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that goes back to knowing all the court cases over the years that have given credo to what can be segregated versus what can't. So like, you know, think of a parking lot. Okay. A parking lot has typically a large parking lot, shopping centers. They have parking lot lighting, right? They've got the concrete ball. They've got the concrete base. And then they have the electrical fixture that sits inside the concrete base. And then they have all the conduit and wiring running underneath the pavement and going to the next closest junction box to be all tied into the building's electrical system. The concrete bases are 15-year land improvements. The light fixtures are actually five-year personal property. So a lot of people just think that, oh, you know, because a land improvement is typically anything that's outside the building envelope, they just write off all the site lighting as 15-year land improvements hmm. because it's not attached to the building. It's not inside the building. Okay, it must be a land improvement. But in actuality, no, it's a blend of both five-year and 15-year assets. So it's little stupid stuff like that, but then it's also like, you know, more technical that that these court cases over the years have established rulings for what can be segregated and what can't. And I can tell you, it's not always common sense. Like, you know, some things you, you hear of and you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then other things you go, wow, that's crazy. I would never assume that would be personal property or I would assume all day long that would be personal property and oh, it isn't. So it's for one, they just don't know any better. Okay. And, you know, shame on them for not knowing any better. Right. I mean, that's their cost segregation is their career. They should be professionals at it. The other reason that these reports could be bogus is because the engineers know exactly what they're doing and they're exaggerating the results. Mm -hmm. So think of these studies as these are just big cost estimating exercises. So the IRS mandates that you have to use, I think it's Marshall and Swift or RS means, which are two nationally recognized cost estimating softwares. And so you literally, as an engineer in the cost seg world, you're utilizing these cost estimating softwares all the time to basically remodel the building in this software and break down all the various assets that comprise of this building. And so this RS means and Marshall Swift, this cost estimating software has unit pricing associated with all the various assets that would be you know, incorporated with a building of that type. But these unit pricings can be tweaked, okay? They can be modified. And so 
it takes nothing at all to tweak these unit pricing on these various assets to make the results skyrocket through the roof. There's obsolescence factors you can mess with. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that you can tweak with this software that exaggerates the results. And so here's a game that I consistently see played by some of these more unscrupulous providers. They know that people like yourself, it's logical to make a decision on who you're going to choose as a cost seg provider based on how much is the fixed fee and how much are they promising to accelerate for me? Okay. Pretty logical, right? I mean, geez, it seems to make sense. Most people who are in the, in the real estate industry are numbers people, right? They let the numbers do the talking. So they go out, they get a bunch of competitive quotes or supposedly competitive. <laughs> they line them all up and they go, okay, provider A has got this fixed fee and is promising me this much. Provider B, this fixed fee, this much. Oh, no brainer. Go with C. They're half the amount of all the other providers and they're promising me double the amount in accelerated depreciation deductions. Great. That was an easy decision. So they go with provider C. And then what happens is the engineer for provider C who gets given that job or assigned that project looks at the estimate and goes, oh boy, okay, well, my sales guy just sold me down the river here because I have to meet this estimate because nobody wants to give bad news. I can take care of it. I can make a couple of tweaks here and there in the estimating software and I can make this work. Great. So again, you're the client, you get your study and you say, man, you guys were spot on. Boy, this is perfect. You met the estimate. This is great. Oh, actually you did a little better than the estimate. This is perfect. Okay. Give it to the CPA. CPA doesn't know any better. CPAs, clients, they don't know, you know how to digest a cost seg study. And even if you did, you'd really have to see the cost estimating software to determine whether or not it was legit. So you use the results and, you know, a couple of years goes by and you say, oh, wow, this is great. You know, it was able to seek the benefit of hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars of accelerated depreciation deductions. And then year three comes around and year three is still an open tax year for the IRS. And the IRS finally, after a hell of a tax season, you know, they had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, then they had COVID and the CARES Act, and and it was just a mess, right? They were overworked, underpaid, understaffed. But now, three years later, now we're in 2025, something in that time frame. And now they're saying, you know, we're pretty caught up. We should probably go back and check all those folks who took advantage of 100% bonus depreciation on acquired real estate, because that was a huge, huge game changer for the real estate community from 2017 through 2022. Let's start looking into these studies a little more. And then, unfortunately, year three, they've got you. So you thought you made a wise decision and and went with the low cost provider, but then it comes to bite you in the rear in year three. So it's a penny wise. I'm here to just open up people's eyes. And it's a penny wise and pound foolish decision to make your decision on who you're going to engage as a cost seg provider based on the fixed fee and based on how much they're promising you. The numbers can be manipulated to the nth degree to make the estimate work. So I'm here to tell you, you need to do your due diligence upfront and you need to make sure they have the proper people on staff with the proper designations and the proper credentials and skill sets to do the study. Because to save yourself $3,000, $5,000 per study, penny wise and pound foolish. If the IRS digs into that, you're going to be wishing that you never went down that path. So, you know, that's really, so to answer your question, it's 
folks who just don't know any better. And it's folks that know exactly what they're doing and they're inflating and exaggerating the results, not on your best behalf. Wow. I think there is, yeah, there's an assumption in there that folks are making that when they see, you know, just numbers on a page and they're comparing bids they're assuming there's an equal, let's say quality or qualification or anything like that behind it. And what you're bringing to the table is, Hey, that's not true. Once you really know how it works. Yeah. We're, we're not a commodity. And as much as people want to commoditize the cost seg industry, you can commoditize the cost seg industry all you want, but you better be sure all the players have the same reputation, skill set, and level of checks and balances in their processes. Because if you're just going and Googling, you know, cost segregation and taking the top three providers that pop up, it's not right. You know, just fair warning. And we can jump into this if you want. I can go all day long here, Taylor. No, no. But what I was going to say is, you know, there's more to just having you shouldn't think of cost seg providers as just a commodity. You should really want to partner with a cost seg provider and you should take advantage of their knowledge in the industry to best maximize tax savings, not only in year one, but going forward for planning purposes, renovating properties. You know, there's other things you can be taking advantage of from a cost seg perspective if the cost seg provider knows your, your plans for a given property going forward, a cost seg provider that knows what they're doing can steer you in, in a better direction and really help you maximize. So, you know, yes, maybe you're paying a few thousand dollars more for their services, but it's going to pay off in the end based on their knowledge of the industry and how they can take advantage of even more tax savings down the line. Yeah, kind of. We might have to do that on another episode. It's kind of like going to a CPA with experience in real estate or going to H&R Block, who are you going to get better real estate related advice? From? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Perfect. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Frank, I've got three questions. You know this. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? 
I'm having trouble with the middle question, but you know, I've already nailed the, the, the third question and the first question. I can, yeah. So let's, let's rock and roll. Let's do it. Okay. The listeners, I think do know that I, I do prep the interviewees with these questions. This is not supposed to be a gotcha interview, but yep. first one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So, and sometimes I even question my educational investment. Uh, so <laughs> I feel like if I would have just taken that money and started in one of the general trades, I'd be farther ahead in life because right now they're naming their own price. So best investment going against my parents' advice, I went and I bought a single family home in Waltham, Massachusetts in 2013 for a half a million dollars. Wow. 1300 square foot cape. It was my starter home. I bought it as a single man. I paid half a million dollars for that house in 2013. And I sold it two and a half years later and made $300,000 profit. So investment wise, financially, like I just hit the market at the right time and that Boston area as well as other, you know, obviously cities across the country have just been blowing up with real estate. So that was my best investment. My first home was my best investment. Nice. Tough to repeat that, but nice to make an awesome return on your primary residence. Yep. Absolutely. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I'm actually patting myself on the back for not having a bad investment that really sticks out. So, I mean, I think the closest thing I can say to a bad investment is when I bought my first multifamily, I put too much into renovating it. Mm-hmm. I put 70, I put $75,000 into renovating a two family that I bought for $387,000. I put 75 grand into a $387,000 purchase and it was only a two family. And, you know, it allowed me to charge more rent, right? But it's going to take a a lot more time for me to recuperate that $75,000 I put in when I probably should have just rolled with exactly what it was, how I bought it, rented it out and used that 75 grand to buy another property. So poor decision. That's a regretful decision. That was probably my worst investment was dumping $75,000 of liquid cash into renovating just a simple two family. Yeah, it's opportunity cost and it's in flippers too. They might over renovate a property. And, and the reason I bring that up, there's a, a house uh, across the street from, from my home right now that was flipped and they did a great job on it, but I think they put way too much into it and has been sitting on the market, even in this hot, hot oh. market. And it's priced way above anything else that's sold in the past on that street by it, any metric. Looks it, great. I went inside. It looks awesome. Yeah. But as you know, Taylor, the reason why it's priced so high is because the poor bastard can't go down any lower because he's going to lose his shirt. Right. So yeah. So that would be my answer to number two. Nice. Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah. So business wise, I stand by this. I mentioned it in the beginning. As much as you'd like to believe people at their word, when it comes to finances, you really have to do your due diligence. You have to make sure that, and it's not even about just getting referrals, because obviously I love referrals, right? Oh, you got to get referrals. Well, 
any simpleton is going to make sure that the referrals that he gives you is from sparkling reviews. Mm -hmm. So referrals to me are like, you know, give me bad referrals. Nobody wants to give bad referrals, but those are the ones that really matter. So, you know, you just have to do your diligence and you can't just assume that, you know, who you're working for or, you know, what you heard. I mean, you should always get a, at least a second backup, make sure that, it's legit. And, and, you know, if I were to turn back the time to turn back the clock, I would have certainly, you know, double checked and background checked that cost seg provider I worked for, you know, less than a one year period, because that was an eye opening experience, how they're just are con people, there's con artists and, and frauds out there all the time. So that would be my most important lesson that I've learned to date is being hoodwinked and learning from it and knowing that I have to do my own due diligence to protect myself and family and assets and everything else going forward. Nice. So that's it. Well, Frank, thank you for joining us today and and shedding some light on this important topic that a lot of folks out there, especially passive syndication investors, are probably using, even if they don't recognize it, a lot of syndications these days, probably everyone I'm aware of, especially in the multifamily space, uses some form of cost segregation. And it sounds like passive investors should probably be maybe a little more aware or more uh, vocal on their desire or aware of the quality of the cost segregation studies that are being done on their properties. Yeah. And and quite honestly, Taylor, I mean, I've heard of situations where syndicators are actually the general partners of the syndicator aren't flowing through the depreciation deduction. So you have to read the agreements as being a limited partner. And, And again, it's due diligence because there are some situations where the general partners will specifically spell out in the agreement. It's not like they're lying to you, but they're spelling out in the agreement that they're going to claim the depreciation deductions and you're not going to get that, that nugget. So not only do you have to be aware of what it means to get a depreciation deduction as a passive investor, but you also need to know how you're getting these depreciation deductions and why are you getting so much and making sure that the reason you're getting so much is because they're being given to you from a legitimate cost segregation provider. So absolutely good things for passive investors to know. Absolutely. Well, if folks want to reach out, if they want to learn more about you, your company or get in touch or any of that stuff, where can they find you? Yeah. So LinkedIn, you know, email, phone number, um, I'm really an open book. So if you just want to look me up and Taylor, are you going to have any information that you post as part of the podcast or should I just vocalize everything? Okay. But feel free to vocalize it so folks can take it down. Yeah, absolutely. So again, Frank Judici, last name, G is in George, I-U-D is in David, I-C-I. And you can Google me. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on the Bedford team website. And again, all my contact information is within LinkedIn. My cell phone number's there. Give me a shout. Would love to chat and make sure you're up to speed and and educated so you're making smart decisions. Great. Well, thank you for joining us once again to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show that helps us grow. And I won't lie, helps me feel good. I see what you guys have to say and I appreciate it so much. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.